0: a Sports Ethos production where we look at the Seahawks from every angle, every week. I'm your host, Candace Haggins, and as always, it is a pleasure and a privilege to talk Hawks with you. Guys, the moment we have all been waiting for is absolutely here. Seahawks football is back. That's right. Training camp has officially begun, and I wanted to get into today some of the train, some of the headlines, some of the takeaways from the first week of of Seahawks football. We'll also get into a little. We'll, we'll do a couple. There are select couple select subjects I want to kind of do a deeper dive on. In so, guys, let's get into it and officially talk some hawks. So there has been a lot happening for our Hawks. The sort of headliner, if you will, for the past week was Devin Witherspoon, the number fifth overall pick, held out the first two days of training camp and didn't report. Uh, there were a dis- there was a disagreement between both him and his agent and the Seahawks in terms of how his $20 million bonus would be paid off. There really aren't a lot of negotiations that you can do in terms of the amounts that's slated. He just wanted money, more money. Now, the Seahawks, probably because of the Malik McDowell situation, really want to make sure that their first round picks earn their roster. They get roster bonuses just for continuing to being on the team. I never knew who ultimately run that battle, even Steele, as I record this podcast, there haven't been a lot of details released in terms of the order of the payout. I'm not even sure if you can easily find that sort of thing. Like, I mean, that type of thing won't be on track or over the cap necessarily because they, those break down the dollar amounts and I'm not, I don't think they break down the timelines of, of payouts. So I don't know if we'll ever find out who won that battle. If the Seahawks conceded or if Devin Witherspoon conceded and just said, listen, I need to be a training camp and decided to hop on back. But I'm glad he did because honestly had that spoil had that spoiled over to the beginning of this week, I think it would have been ugly. The fans would have started to turn on him. Fans have already started to turn on him, even though, you know, it was just two days. I've seen a lot of con- conversation about, uh, on Twitter, just people being kind of down on him. He's come out so far in training camp and he hasn't done much. Um, they sort of were easy on him the first couple of days today in training camp. He seemed to get a bigger workload in terms of snap counts, but he got beat on a couple of routes by Tyler DK, even Tyler Mabry that some people made that made some people nervous. He also had really good reps though against uh, Jackson Smith and then Jigba In in but I don't know if I'll ever get that right. But (laughs) I'm going to start just saying Jason. Against JSN, he got some really quality reps against him. Didn't allow for him to get a catch. And I I hear he was really great in the run game, which anytime Seahawks and run game is associated in a positive sentence, that's always good, especially when it comes from a a rookie. So I think you guys just got to be patient. My take on the whole thing, it was only two days. I don't think that that should change people's opinion of the pick. Uh, There's all this talk about Carter and how well he's doing. And I understand why people are upset about not taking Jalen Carter. I really do. But I also, I just feel like it plays the what if game quite a bit. I I think it's pretty clear with how Jalen Carter went about his offseason that he really wanted to get to the Eagles with his friends. And they'd already had conversations with the Eagles that essentially said they would take him if he failed. So they already had that understanding, which is where the whole top 10 thing, him not talking to teams outside of the top 10 came from. He knew the Eagles would take him. And I think he wanted to go there. I think that was one of his top destinations. And I, 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 if he's doing this well in training camp, That let me know he intentionally taked his stock. There is no reason to think that if Seattle. There's no specific reason to ignore the fact that it's possible. If the Seahawks draft this guy, he doesn't look nearly as good. He never wanted to be there. The question with Jalen Carter was never about his talent on the field. No one questioned that. It was about his motivation his motor and if teams would take him, would he be incentivized to be his best? He's in an environment where he's going to be absolutely incentivized to be his best and he's surrounded by guys he wants to be surrounded by on a team he wants to be on. I just don't know if the Seahawks could have competed with that. And so I, yeah, I know it's easy to say, look at Jalen Carter, look at what Jalen Carter's doing. He's doing some women training camp it's not wrong it just is one-sided and I think ignores the possibility that you could get a whole different dude this dude could could if if he was in Seattle could be giving the Seahawks hell right now if he didn't really want to be there and we've seen him know he knows how to tank his stock so we we knows we know what a bad Jalen Carter looks like so anywho that's my soapbox on that. I just thought i put it out there. But Devin Witherspoon, I think you'll see him. Um, there's also some discussion about him in regards to getting a lot of snaps at nickel. I've stated this before. I'll state it again. If you listen to this podcast, you know I'm an advocate for him playing in the nickel and then being able to move outside because he's not just an exclusive nickel guy. But if the Seahawks choose to primarily use him in that role, that's great. I believe the Seahawks ran nickel like 72% of the time last year in defense. That's still very good value, especially if he's going to be playing against some of the best slot receivers in the league. Let him grow, develop on the outside. No matter how well Michael Jackson does this year, if he's able to Surpass anything that Devin Witherspoon could do and really be a dominant force on the outside. So much so that Devin Witherspoon's not able to permanently take his place. So be it. Michael Jackson isn't going to be here next year. They're not going to re-sign Michael Jackson to some great contract. He's going to some other team and that team is going to pay him. So either way, if you have one year of Devin Witherspoon not being your primary starter outside corner, that's fine. Let him develop. Let him see some different things. Let him get some experience under his belt. He'll get reps on the outside. He will, whether he's the permanent whether he's the solution there or not. They'll rotate him in to give him the experience. And then in year two, he'll be able to ready he'll be ready to take a leap with that and I think put it all together. So no worries on my end with Devin Witherspoon. I think the consternation about him and that pig is a little bit overblown. But Moving on to other storylines in camp. JSN has been lighting it up for all the consternation that's going on with the number five pick. The number 20 pick is absolutely showing out in pads, outside of pads. His quickness, his route running is just incredible. At this point, I say shut him down. Like (laughs) I've seen enough. Put the guy in bubble wrap and, and, Bring him out maybe in a preseason game. I only want to see him for a few snaps in one. Let's just hold this guy to week one because, yeah, he's a rookie, but he's already doing everything you want him to do. He's already elated everything you want him to be at elite. At. Are there areas of his game you love to see him improve? Yeah, but they don't need him to improve on those things this year. Put that guy in bubble wrap and make sure he gets to week one, is what I say at this point. For every for every rep that he gets, I, I'm no longer sure it helps the team. Like I think it concerns me. Like I I just kind of want them to go safety approach. Like let's just hold this guy. We've seen JSN. The only thing he's gonna help do is sharpen the other cornerbacks. And it's a really deep cornerback room. We've seen that. I don't think they need that much either. He's just been that impressive. He's been explosive. He's been just elite. He's just been a hard, hard guy to cover. Even when guys are covering him and in the NFL scheme, when you got DK and Tyler Lockett on the same field at the same time, you're not going to be able to dedicate the resources needed to even cover him the way that they're covering him in some of these one-on-one reps. And he's still getting, getting open. The guy just gets open. It's unreal how open he gets super impressed with him. Um, Excited to see that he was uh, more than worth his pick, and he could turn out to be a real steal for the Seattle Seahawks. Other headlining news: the Seahawks are down their top two running backs. I repeat, the Seahawks are down their top two running backs. Now I will say with Kenneth Walker the third, his does not seem to be that serious of an issue. Uh, he is reportedly having an issue with his groin. They're just being really cautious with him. I think he could go if they wanted to, but they don't want to risk re-injuring the hernia that he's had surgically repaired from last year. There's no reason to push it for him. He should have been the offensive rookie of the year. That's not a guy you're worried about. Um, Are there areas of the game you'd love to see him grow in? Yes, but that's not something I'm worried about. What I'm more worried about is the Zach Charbonnet situation. And I'm more worried about it on two fronts. One, his issue seems to be a little bit more serious. They've been a, a pretty ambiguous about his shoulder issue in the reports from Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks that he has not been at camp the past two days, which to me sounds like they're going to get a second opinion on his shoulder. That doesn't sound good. Um, it sounds pretty serious. So I'm, con- I'm concerned about the level of injury that he has right now, and he's considered to be out indefinitely. Um, I don't like that language that the Seahawks has been using for him. And I'm also concerned because Zach Charbonnet did need those rips, right? Like, if there's a guy who you didn't who you, who you wanted to see get the reps, it was Zach Charbonnet. And is he a good practice player? Absolutely. Would he do well? Absolutely. But you just want him... You, we, we've seen with Kenneth Walker III, when he came in his first few games uh, after missing a ton of training camp time, he was sort of rusty there. He didn't look great. Um, had had some pretty big mistakes there in his limited snaps before he sort of took off in the Saints game. He, he sort of... It was... You know, unnecessarily rusty. Zach Charbonnet doesn't have nearly the talent. Well, let me say nearly the ceiling that that Kenneth Walker III has. And he's missing that same valuable time. How long will it take him to adjust to the curve of NFL? Yes, the running back position is the running back position. But also, you need him to get acclimated to the system and to the the nuances of the game. You want him to get comfortable with the feel and the tempo of the games, and how the how the feels and the tempos can change from drive to drive or possession to possession. So, I'm concerned about it from that perspective too. Um, it's really disappointing because, you know, just one thing that's sort of under the radar is today being the first day of pads. There's a lot of talk about how well the defensive line did in the run game. Well, I take that with about as much seriousness as I take the Christian Gonzalez talk coming out of Patriots camp about how well he's doing. Because my question is, who are they going against? (laughs) Christian Gonzalez is supposed to be held up to be dominant. Well, he's going up against a bunch of wide receiver fours. Same thing with the Seahawks in the defensive line. Okay, Kenneth McIntosh has been lighting it up in camp, but he's still a seventh-round pick. And then they got a bunch of dudes. Who are they really stopping? Bobby Wagner said. Bobby Wagner said, basically, he didn't have to do anything because the defensive line, they were preventing anybody from even getting to the second level. I believe that, not because the defensive line was so dominant, but just because they have they don't have any real. Not saying Macintosh isn't real talent, but he is a specific kind of running back. So his his strength isn't going to be running between the tackles, right? Who's your running back who's going to challenge you running in between the tackles? And to do so at elite elite level, like the kind of talent you'll go up against in an NFL game, no one. So yeah, I would expect the line to hold up against those running backs. Uh, so it concerns me from that standpoint too, because they really do. They need some talent. <laughs> they need uh, uh, to excuse me, but DJ Dallas didn't give me the greatest of confidence that they're really being challenged at the defensive line from a running game perspective. You really wish there was just another level of talent to practice against, but really happy for Kenneth, Kenneth McIntosh. And I want to downplay him or, his successes. he has been a highlight, according to P. Picard referenced him as a highlight of camp, which is big for a seventh round pick to be able to be the highlight of camp. So good on him to take advantage of this opportunity. He's looking really, really good in his, in his reps. Um, I listened to Seahawks Brandon Nelson. I'm sure some of you are familiar. He's a good follow. I listened to him as well. And I heard him mention something about Kenneth McIntosh that I just personally disagreed with, and I heard him mention that he didn't necessarily think that um, Kenneth Ma- that the, that the offense could be run. That the, the offense would have to figure out special ways to use McIntosh, and while that's true to some extent with the receiving game, I think they've always had that stuff in their playbook. Just you don't want D. J. Dallas on the field a ton to take advantage of it, and they they never really just had a guy to lean on in that regard. Um, that you wanted on the field. DJ Dallas could do it, but did you really want to put DJ Dallas on the field over K-9? No, you did not. Um, anyway, his take was that you need a special kind of offense for a Kenny McIntosh. And I disagree. I think that the that the offense they ran with K-9, um, outside run, outside zone, I think that stuff is fine. He can do that stuff. He's a home run hitter. Just like K-9. They have um, similar traits. K-9's better. But in terms of their home run hitter ability, um, they're just football speed. K-9's faster, but K-9's a... Um, McIntosh is a playmaker. He is a playmaker. And he's proven that in camp. Even with the pads. he was still able to make the plays. Some people thought that maybe if they had been allowed to tackle him and that if you've seen this viral video of him taking off for a touchdown, credible play on his part, bad play on the part of Daryl Taylor defensively for messing up contain. But if you've seen that play, you, some people thought, well, if he, if they could tackle, he'd go down. Well, he did go down today in pads, but it was like 30 yards downfield. The guy's still a playmaker for the team and I think they can do all the same things with him you you're going to run into the same issue with him as you would with K-9 and that is who's your three clouds and a dust guy you don't have them, because McIntosh isn't it but neither was K-9 so I, I'm excited for the guy um I think he can make a really big impact especially if it ends up being K-9 and McIntosh um, that's going to put Zach Charbonnet in an interesting position and it's going to make the Seahawks look particularly bad because a lot of people didn't like the Zach Charbonnet pick and I understood and supported it. and I think you'll still see the need for him because I think there's still going to be an issue on this roster when it comes to who can get you the three clouds and a, who can get you the three yards and a cloud of dust when you need it I don't think they're going to be able to get it sometimes and I think Charbonnet's presence will be missed, um, depending on how long he's out for his injury. But overall, man, I am I- I'm excited for for st- I'm still excited, even though I'm bummed out that we got to hold off. I'm really seeing what the running back room can really look like until maybe even well into <laughs> the NFL season, and it just It sucks, man. You want to say that it's um, like the the Marshawn Lynch curse ever since he left. There's always a major running back injury. But, you know, it seems to be league-wide. Like, I I think league-wide is just running backs get more and more injured. So, it is what it is. Um, Wishing them both well. And, yeah. And hoping the Seahawks can make, hoping Kenny McIntosh can make the best of his reps in the meantime. The centers, on another note, are rotating. You're seeing a lot of uh, Timmy. And he's rotating with Evan Brown, what the Seahawks have been doing to this point in training camp. It's just giving each day a guy to be the number one starter. And they'll just continue to rotate those guys. I don't think we'll find out who's really ahead in the depth chart until preseason, probably. Maybe the mock game gives some early indications, but I think really preseason is when you'll see that sort of See who the Seahawks like more. Um, I was of the belief that they would just go with the veteran Evan Brown. But Olu has been impressing. And, you know, I was kind of for Evan Brown taking the spot. But if Olu is close, if it's not a big gap in terms of talent, then go with Olu. It would be nice to have the same center this year and next year because even if they go with Evan Brown this year, they'll still have a new center next year in Olu. So we'll see how this goes out. But I I didn't expect the Seahawks to give him a chance to compete this early. I thought it would be more along the lines of something. I knew he would get a chance to compete. I just thought it would be more along the timelines of how they gave Abe Lucas a chance to compete versus uh, Jay Jake but one thing that Pete Carroll mentioned in his presser, it was sort of he didn't directly state it, but I'm pretty good at parsing Pete, and he, he's pretty much implied that because there was no incumbent, they didn't feel the need to let the rookie, not, they wanted him to earn it but they didn't feel the need to have a set guy in place because Evan Brown was new too, they're both new coming into the system. There's no incumbent that needs to be overtaken. So they're just kind of splitting the reps. It's how they see it, 50-50. And I, I get that. It makes sense to me. And uh, best of look, luck to Olu. And um, maybe best guy win, really. I just, I feel good about the center position regardless. It's interesting to see how it turns out. But I don't think Evan Brown's just a dude. I think if you listen to this podcast again, you know, I think pretty highly of Evan Brown. So if Olu is able to take that spot, I think even more highly of him. So um excited for that battle because there's really no wrong way to go. And it's nice to have a position where no matter what happens, Seahawks win. Um, at least that's how I feel about it. Okay. Now I mentioned that I wanted to talk a little bit more in depth on some things. Witherspoon was one, and as you heard, I did have some things to say about that. But something I wanted to dive in a little bit more extensively on is something that Pete Carroll said in his first press conference of training camp Out of the Gate. And that is his voluntarily mentioning that Jaren Reed was critical, that Jaren Reed playing the nose tackle was critical to the success of the defense. And boy, was I taken off guard as were many of you listening here. Now, I would have never thought of that. Uh, At least not permanently. Like I thought maybe he gets some snaps at nose, but do I like it better than Cameron young? Probably. I, I, the more I, the more I thought of it, the more we got into the off season, the less confident I felt uh, about Cameron Young's ability to do it because there's just not been a lot of buzz about the guy. And if a guy's gonna come out and be able to make a statement at the nose tackle position, you want him looking good and dominant on the sledge. You want him You want him, you want people talking about him. And I know that's hard to do when you're not in pads, but they were still talking about Draymond Jones making some plays before pads. Would you just never hear anything about Cameron Young? And to me, that's, that's not good. No one's talking about how he's standing out and looking good. So that lets me know he wasn't going to be the kind of guy to be ready. I think their logic will sound in that a rookie can step in and be a nose tackle because it's not a complicated job. But I think this class just didn't really have the options for them to pick it At a reasonable value, Um, yes, there was Mozzie Smith, but was Tony really the right place to get a nose tackle? To this day, I'd argue no. Um, (laughs) I just don't think this was a good interior defensive line. They didn't want, obviously, a big guy like Siaki Ika. They've gone smaller, slimmer. They've done the big dude holding up the gaps, and they just seem to want to go in a smaller direction. Will this work? I don't know. Now, there is a trend, and I know this terrifies a lot of people because Jaron is smaller. I think he's uh maybe 3'10", something like that. And Al Woods was 3'31". Brian Monet is like 3'20", something. We're used to seeing the bigger guys at the nose. But if you look at the top five run defenses last year, the Titans on the Ravens, 49ers even. They don't have a bunch of big giant dudes. Who's the huge guy on the 49ers? Who's the huge nose tackle taking up space on the 49ers defensive line? They're all a bunch of dudes that's like 290. So while I think fans are freaking out about the size thing, I do think there's a question about fit, and can they coach that well enough? I think there are certain coaching techniques that maybe you have to do, or certain willingness to do maybe more blitzes, that kind of thing, to offshoot that, uh, to take advantage of being faster on on your D-line, but maybe not as hefty, Uh, maybe being more mobile. I think there are schemes that can help highlight those things. I question our coaching staff's ability to do that. But I think they're going in the right direction in terms of strategy. I'm a little nervous about the execution, though. Rightfully so. But they are going in the direction of the modern NFL. If you're concerned about the size of Jaron Reed and if he can hold up, I'm here to tell you the best defenses don't have huge dudes. A lot of defenses don't have that anymore. I just think that we're so used to the Seahawks fan base. So used to having that guy who in theory, quote unquote, takes up space, but is the 20 extra pounds that they take up worth the loss of speed, especially in a, in a division that's known for so much motion in the run game for so much uh, misdirection in the run game. I actually think it's a very smart thought it's not just plow down into the A-gap anymore with the run game, especially in the NFC West. It's misdirection here. It's slide the line to the right there. There are all these different um, this pitch play here. There's just all these different elements to spread teams out. And I think the Seahawks have rightfully decided mobility is king. The ability to chase down blockers or... You know, be strong, but still be nimble means quite a bit. I'd agree with him. Um, My concerns with Jaren at the nose are different. So I was too curious because, you know, when asked about the nose tackle position and Jaren playing it, Pete referenced that he played it a lot in college. He did. That was a long time ago. Um, So I was curious as to what Jaron looked like at the nose. Because he actually played some nose for the Seahawks. Uh, Right now, to this point, he's played 833 snaps at the nose, according to PFF. His first two years, the Seahawks used him pretty heavily in the nose. He had 297 snaps his sophomore year, 2017, and he had 218 snaps in 2018 huh, what do you know <laughs> uh so after that his snaps dwindled to less than 100 per but he did have 100 snaps in 2021 when he was with the kansas city chiefs that's the year right after essentially he left uh the seahawks to go to kansas city and so i couldn't get my hands on all 22 tape for 2017 and 18. I tried guys, sorry. I just couldn't find it. It wasn't available to me. So I did have to settle for looking at the 2021 uh tape and how he played. Yeah, I watched some of the games. I think in week one, he played more snaps at nose, And week seven, he played more snaps at nose. And by more, I mean like double digits, right? Like 10, 11, cause it's not gonna be a ton. He's never leaned on heavy in that role. So I watched those games. Watched the All-22 and watched him in those snaps. And I wanted to share with you guys my observations. It's sort of, because it's a different scheme, it's a 4-3. Um, it, to me, it wasn't worth doing quite a film study on. But if you guys want that, you can let me know and I'll see what I can do about putting some cuts together. But... For me and my observations, they were this. He's strong enough to hold up at the point of attack when it comes to double teams. I think he did pretty well in double team situations. Now, when he was at center, I kind of had the nuance, my assessment of him at double teams because he actually found more double teams when he was at the three tech than when he was, you know, head up under center an un- under center. When he was head up under center, he kind of... it's sort of this weird dynamic where he was actually in a better position to make plays on the ball when he was head up with the center. Um, they didn't tend to double-team him in those scenarios. So, I kind of took some info and pieced it together. But whenever he was double-teamed, he handled himself well, kept the linebackers clean. I think there were a couple of instances where he was double-teamed at the center spot and in those instances he was able to keep the linebackers clean he was able to make some penetration but like I said his timing on the ball was sometimes better when he was at the nose than when he was you know anywhere else because sometimes he just didn't look good as you guys know it was a rough year for him in Kansas City and his better snaps to me when he looked like he was going to make more of an impact to me was on center so that's encouraging that was encouraging for me what was discouraging and what might continue to be an issue maybe maybe not we'll see but his lack of play call awareness for a veteran he was just unaware and got fooled by a lot of misdirections got fooled by a lot of uh by a lot of things or like any any trick any kind of trick play he just didn't seem to follow the ball consistently. He just seemed a little easy to fool. And that would be my concern. Just sometimes the awareness of where the ball is and how he's trying to make a play it just led to a lot of negative plays for his team defensively. Now, that Kansas City team was not talented. So when it comes to people being able to set the edge, they didn't have that. So I'll give him that caveat so that those type of plays were huge plays for the opposing offenses in the games I watched before the Browns and the Titans. But, yeah. So I think that may be, if you're looking for what Jaron Reed could look like in a nose tackle role, I'm not sure it's as much that he's going to get blown off the ball. A ton, I'm sure there will be snaps. Well, he'll get blown off the ball just because I don't think he's consistent of of enough of a player to just be stout at the point of attack all the time. But I do think overall you'll see him hold up well, and I think you'll see guys like Bobby take the slack when he does um, get mauled at the point of attack because for him it's either all or nothing, like either it's a really good play or it's a bad play. I Very few in between unfortunately um uh, but again a lot of that was, was just kind of my observations from him from him in a different role and not the nose tick cuz those snaps were just so limited um so those are sort of my thoughts it could work i, I think the 49 if he doesn't fix that play awareness though play recognition the 49ers are going to have a field day with him seriously for nine is going to have a field day with him. That worries me. But he's never had a season of preparing as a nose tackle, right? So it's different too. And I kind of want to give some grace for that and understanding that that was in a very small role. Of course, his play recognition wouldn't be great because it's not something he's often asked to do. Whereas now it's something he has hopefully been able to focus the majority of his off season preparing to do. So that's, that sort of concludes all of the major headlines. I just wanted to mention a couple of things that are like under the radar. If you guys to listen to some of the early episodes I used to do an under the radar segment, um, I, these things weren't big enough for me to want to do a whole segment on. But here are some things that I, I, I think I just want to touch on some things, you know, Seahawks 360 that everybody's not talking about, right? Uh, one thing nobody's talking about is the Bradford situation. Bradford must be doing pretty poor to start the offseason. And he's a rookie, so not everybody's going to come in slinging like JSN is doing. But when Damian Lewis went down, instead of putting Bradford at right guard or left guard, they put Jay Kurhan. So right now, Bradford is third. On the depth chart so I don't think he has even a chance for those who thought he's gonna come in and compete with Phil Haynes honestly I was one of them I thought Phil Haynes would still be the the incumbent I thought he still win it but I thought he'd be the backup he seems to not even be doing well enough to be doing that I don't know what's holding him back guess we'll see in preseason games I'm sure he'll get some run if he's that deep on the depth chart for sure and we can see sort of what his limitations are as a player at this point so there's something to note and see if that changes see if he can have some standouts here as we get in pads maybe he's more in his element at that point and maybe can work his way up the depth chart but I just I noticed how silent everything has been about Bradford and it's not something that's getting talked about that he was pretty low on the depth chart there Another point that I wanted to bring up was that Boye had a really great game today. Uh, Not game. Practice. With pressure. And that's what I want to see from Boye Mafe. My biggest concern about him was can he consistently get pressure? So it's great to see that when the pads come on, he was able to be a force in the backfield. Repeated instances of him getting quick pressures. So excited to see that. Um especially since Damian Lewis was back. So he had some pretty good competition. The tackles have been held up pretty well. So I'd love to see him win some of those reps. I hope that translates because him being a starter is huge for the depth of this team. If you've got him and a consistent, well, you got a consistent version of him from a pass rush perspective on top of his elite run game, run defense, that's a heck of a player. Seriously, he was a good player last year on his run defense alone. But if you add in consistent pass rush, that makes him not you turn Will Sue quite, but similar in caliber. And that means that they're going to be able to take advantage of each other's talent because Chenna got locked up quite a bit in the latter half of the season, double teamed a lot, and no one else was able to take advantage of it. If Boye take advantage of some of those double teams to the point where you can't afford to double team either of them, then everybody eats. And then you've got great depth with Daryl Taylor being rotational, Derek Hall being rotational. So really hoping that that's an exciting development there. I hope to see that be consistent as we go through camp. Because really with the training, training camp narratives, it's about the trends. And that's why you're not going to hear us here or me at Seahawks 360 doing something every day at training camp. Because really, you want to follow the trends how was it over the week and see what stuck and what didn't. And that applies as training camp continues It's the trends that stay not necessarily the one-offs. So we'll see if that's a trend. And the other the only other thing that I wanted to notice uh, that I want to know is that the tight ends have been really quiet. Like I've heard nothing about the tight ends being active to me. It's something I wanted to watch was did the Seahawks run more, three wide receiver sets, then the tight end sets. The Seahawks, PF, P- Seahawks PR put out a post today on Twitter essentially saying that their tight end room had the third, most pro- third best production in the NFL, which is great. They've been awfully silent in training camp. I just haven't heard anything about Colby Parkinson taking a step. I don't expect Will Disley to take a step, but I just haven't heard anything about him making plays. Um, it's just been silent. And does that mean they're going to lean more into these wide receiver sets? Maybe. Or is it just that because it's not been as much 7-on-7 seven seven or they can't report that? I I don't know. But I, I'd like to hear f- something from the tight end room here soon, um, particularly Kobe Parkinson, because – can he be a guy that they can rely on so they don't keep Noah Fant and Will Disley? It's something I'm, I want to see. I want to see Kobe Parkinson take a step forward to make Fant a luxury or Will Disley a luxury. That way they're not doubling their resources in that way or you know, pouring too many, too much into resources that I don't know if it's worth it to pour into. But I'm not seeing it. And I think this is a contract year for him, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, I hope he makes it his business to sort of step up and make plays. And particularly, I heard that the red zone offense was non-existent today in, in practice with the pads on. So you'd love to see Kobe Parkinson find a way to shine. He's always, with his size, has been able to be a potentially great red zone target. He was at a times during the season last year. And you want to see him build on that. So anyway, guys, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Follow us for our next episode as we'll continue to track the things going on in training camp. We are getting closer and closer to preseason football. So we will be here reporting on all the latest news and updates. In the meantime, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Ethos Seahawks. S at Ethos Seahawks. Um, We have polls, analysis, all the latest info you need on your Seahawks. Uh, If you're listening on YouTube, be sure to give us a like or a follow. If you listen to the end of this video, absolutely thank you. We appreciate your dedication and commitment. And give us a five-star review on iTunes if you like as well. All right, guys. That's all the time we have for today. That's it. I'm out. And as always, go Hawks.